Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. I'm Kyla Wright from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. And I'm Paul Holston from Howard University in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. We're coming to you live from the greatest city on earth, New York, Manhattan, right in the middle of things, uh, Lincoln Center. Um, and we got, as usual, they've been getting on me. I said, we have a lot to discuss. We always have a lot to discuss. <laughs> Every week. But, but before we get into that, I want to take a moment to... Uh, I introduce my esteemed colleague and co-host for the day. Uh, just remember that, X, just for the day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get all, yeah. Might bring them back this, next week. This show starts, really, this seat starts getting comfortable. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with one week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, but this is uh, the great John X. Miller. Uh, uh, John X. is currently the senior editor of News and Commentary at The Undefeated. Uh, but he's worn a lot of hats at a lot of different publications over the last 39 years, including USA Today, the Detroit Free Press, the Winston-Salem, uh, the Winston-Salem Journal. So, X, thanks for being here. Well, I'm always uh, glad to be in the presence of greatness. Uh, and I'm particularly talking about uh, not only you, but the fact that the HBCUs are represented here by some stellar students that I'm mm. I've uh, had the great pleasure working with so far this summer and mm. looking forward to watching their careers uh, uh, take off in a certain trajectory. H-U? Oh, thank, thank you. you. The real H-U. Well, this is your first, I mean, you've been working with them since January, Fred, but this is the first time you've actually met them. Yeah, it's right? the first time I've met them as a group. And uh, as I was telling Aaron, I, I love the synergy and the energy that when everybody's together and how ideas kind of go from one person to another. So it was a pleasure meeting with them earlier today, chopping it up about journalism, chopping it up about what works well for the undefeated site. So, as I said, I'm I'm blessed to be here in the presence of greatness, and and uh, they've got a, a real treat slash surprise in a couple of weeks. They're gonna they've been in New York for the last four weeks, five four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. They're gonna go down to the headquarters, the mothership. In a couple of weeks, they're gonna be actually in the undefeated headquarters, and I've been telling them it's gonna be a completely different different experience. It's gonna be a real different vibe, no doubt about it, <laughs> and and not only just. Uh, from from their experience here at ESPN here in New York, but in newsrooms in general, it's going to be a very different vibe. And uh, one of the people they're going to meet is uh, another member of the Undefeated who's on the line now. Uh, the great young writer Justin Tinsley is a culture and sports writer for the Undefeated. Been just killing him. I mean, really, just been doing phenomenal work. Uh, prior to the Undefeated, uh, Justin was a senior content editor at Uprock M- uh, Media. So, Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, man, it's great, man. Uh, you, you've you um, written a lot of stuff that we're going to get into, but before we get into that, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, on the uh, HBCU podcast. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> Paul, man, Paul's really <laughs> been eating the vitamins today. <laughs> he's like Friday, ready. He's ready. He's, he's, he's ready. ready. You know, but, but normally me and X were talking about other people. You know, a lot of times, uh, 
you know, older senior people will always be chiding young people about, you know, them not knowing the history and, well, did you know this and did you know that? And so in keeping with that tradition, we're going to ask, ask the, uh, we have a couple of questions that we're going to ask the young folks. But we also thought that, you know, I think it's fair play, right? Uh, right, Kyle, it's fair play to, to, for, for if, if, if we consider ourselves to be kind of with it, hip, older folks, there are certain things that we're supposed to know as well. So, Absolutely. So you're going to give us a couple things that we should know as well. And we're just letting you know that we've claimed Justin. And although Justin is a millennial, he's he also be on our team. no, no, he's a professional. He's wise beyond his <laughs> yes, years. Yes, yes, that's what I told him. Earlier. <laughs> he's wise beyond his years, so he's on our side. So, so listen. So we're going to start off with a question. Uh, I guess Kyla, Kyla, you're going to ask you're going to ask us the the millennial question, right? That me and X and Justin <laughs> will give the answer to. Okay. Well, my millennial question to start it off is. What is the name of the television show that LeBron James wrote? Okay. Um, all right. If, if I'm answering it for my team, the answer is Survivor's Remorse. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. Okay. All right. <laughs> Ten points for our team. <laughs> Justin, right. we should have claimed Justin on our team. We were supposed to. Yeah. Too late. You know, the How system is flawed. So that's ten points for us. Run. And at the end, I'm not sure what the what the budget is, mm-hmm. X, the undefeated budget, but there will be a great reward. Yeah, I, mean, I think maybe dinner, an right? undefeated tracksuit. That's what I'm looking for. Undefeated tracksuit. Oh yeah, I like Unde- the I like the undefeated cap. hoodie. Undefeated cap. We <laughs> have the cap. Now we do have some hoodies. Yeah, we do have. Some oh, hoodies. I like the hoodies. Yeah, yeah. I, heard there was a oh, I don't suit. know about the hoodies. I don't know. She's a brainer, and she's all. You think you got it all figured out? Now we got the hoodies. Yeah, yeah. Got to go on campus representing. Yeah, she's locked. Got got that one locked up. I know. I know. So I hope. Sabrina's listening to Sabrina. You know, you tell me that I've got I've got it all. And now, Sabrina, I'm a size small. Right. Well, don't worry. You, you don't have to worry because you're not winning. So, <laughs> so, X, so, so John, can you, so John, so John's got two questions for you. Okay, so the first one is a, is a gimme, right. uh, and that is uh, who was the first uh, African American player in Major League Baseball history. Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Robinson. Very good. Very good. Okay. Let's go. I know. I was getting concerned. There was like a little pause there. No, I was looking around. All right. I was like, I was no, because be I was trying player. to make sure. You know how, like, you know the answer, but then you're like, oh, this kind right. of Right. It sounded too easy, yeah, so I was, I was really trying to think Let's for a second. Let's go to the second one. All right. So what's the second one? How did we get two questions? They only got one. Because you're younger. Wow. You're younger. You got to work hard. You got to work hard. We have another one. The system is flawed. No. Oh, no. All right. So. So who was Uh-oh. the first black NBA player? Ooh, oh, that, now that's it. Oh. Mm. Mm. Earl Lloyd. It's a technicality, right? Because It's a technicality. There were three first. Right. Should we give them that? Well, yeah, that's, let's, that's, let's give them that because – under under the, the in the Hall of Fame, you know he's credited as being the first. But there That's were other people who there were other people who played professional basketball because mm. the NBA wasn't the fresh, wasn't the first professional basketball team or league of, uh, league of teams. Oh, so you you weren't even going with Tarzan Cooper? Nope. You were talking about mm-hmm. something else? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I was like, oh, well, who? Who was well, that? Least for leaving the first, the who was the first? Who the first professional? Can we name another? Sweetwater Clifton. I was Sweetwater Clifton. Say, we're going to answer uh, again for some bonus points. No, no, we're good. We are. No, but we'll get. <laughs> we'll, with two, we'll so. give you. Since you did say Earl Lloyd, 
who was the first. I think Earl Lloyd was the first to sign a contract, mm-hmm. I believe, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that you're you're close, mm-hmm. and this shows how gracious we are. Gracious, But it also shows kind of the nuance of history too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you can say who was the first professional basketball player versus the first player to play in the NBA, NBA. and right. that'd be two different people. Right. right. But Absolutely. it trips people up sometimes because they don't quite understand the nuance of history. And unfortunately, I, I think as an old school journalist, sometimes that's kind of lost in the mix. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's, that's, that's why we're doing old school, new, new school. school. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because that's, that, at the end of the day, it's all about. Well, nobody got anything wrong. So that's good. Mm-hmm. So that's good. So yeah. Congratulations, week, old school. Yeah. Good luck, new team. Yeah. So good. So, so everybody goes to the beach today. <laughs> anyway, hey, hey, so listen, uh, we, we've had. Uh, uh, Justin patiently hanging on the line and gave and got his ten points for the uh, old school team. But <laughs> represent. Uh, but um, uh, Justin, talk to us a little bit. You know, we want to get the phenomenal piece you wrote uh, about uh, Jay Z uh, dropping his um, uh, his uh, latest album. But I want to talk to you about free agency because you're also all over that. Mm. Uh, right. it, you know, particularly uh, there's been. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, July 1st was the, the big day when NBA players, uh, you know, got a chance to be free and got to decide whether got to decide whether to take the talent. I like to call this a big old day after uh, Oscar Robertson. Absolutely. But, you know, but um, what, what do you think, man? Um, you know, every, there's been so much talk about the Western Conference, Western Conference, Western Conference. You know, Jimmy Butler left the Bulls for the Timberwolves. Paul George left Indiana for OKC. But then Gordon Haywood, what we call the white move, packed his bags <laughs> and joined the Boston Celtics. So, so will all this make a dent in the East? Will 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 Hayward Hayward going to Boston make a dent? Uh, I mean, it makes them better, of course. I mean, Gordon Hayward is a very, very good basketball player in my estimation. But you know, just with the recent move of them trading Avery Bradley for uh, Marcus Moore, sending him to Detroit, uh, I think that will. I mean, I think that will. I don't know if it'll necessarily hurt him, but it will cause him to take maybe like a half a step back, at least in terms of defensive schemes. Because when you talk about the Eastern Conference, at least for now, although Dan Gilbert appears hell-bent on driving Cleveland into the ground for whatever reason, uh, at least for next year, they should still be like the favorite to come out the East because any team with LeBron James on, especially in this type of East, is going to be favorited to go back to the finals again. Uh, I think I think Boston has gotten better. Uh, it'll be really interesting to, unless they've already made a decision. It'll be really interesting to see what uh, Washington does with Otto Porter because I know Brooklyn was going to give him the max contract. And God bless Otto Porter. I'll never stop another man from getting his money, but I really can't justify Otto Porter being a max contract player. Uh, so I mean, it, it, to answer your question about Boston, I, I think it, it does make them better. It gives them another person on offense who can create their own shot, other than Isaiah Thomas. Uh, they they've taken a step back, a little step back defensively by you know shipping Avery Bradley to Detroit. But I, I still think it, you know the center of the Eastern Conference universe at least still revolves around that guy wearing number twenty three for Cleveland for now. Okay, so we're gonna switch gears a little bit. This is Kyla from Hampton. And of course we could talk about this, you know, all day, but um for a second I just wanna talk about your phenomenal story that was published with the undefeated on the eve of the NBA free agency, ironically, you wrote a very, very successful review of Jay Z's latest album, four four four, and his career. 
So you basically had compared, you know, his Jay-Z's rise with Kobe Bryant. So what made you incorporate Kobe into the story about Jay-Z? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, but what it was funny because, I mean, I love music. I love, love music. And I, obviously I love sports as well. And I love finding not necessarily the the what's the word I'm looking for not necessarily the 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 common ties between the two but I love finding like the the nuanced relationship between them and I just remember uh one of my best friends his name is Brad Davis he's a diehard Kobe Bryant fan like he's been a Kobe fan probably ever since he took Brandy to the prom you know so it's it's been a minute since and I remember and we were just having like a random conversation a couple of weeks ago and he was like hey man you remember when uh Jay went to when Jay went to Kobe's last game and I was like oh yeah I do remember that and I just happened to go on basketball reference and I looked up like the the score the box score from the game and it was April 13th uh 2016 and I remember like that was the year that was the same season that the Warriors won 73 and it just so happened that you know their 73rd win over the Memphis Grizzlies that night came it was the same day and I, I know I remember reading somewhere that, that Jay-Z had to make a choice. Like, all right, do I go to Kobe's last game or do I go see 73? And obviously he went to go see 73. And I, I just started looking up dates. I know Jay-Z's first album, which came out in 1996, was called Reasonable Doubt. That came out towards the end of June in 1996. And I remember, obviously, you know, the NBA draft is, you know, towards the end of June every year. And it just so happens that, Jay-Z's album came out on June 25th and Kobe was drafted on June 26th. So they were kind of, their careers kind of started basically on the same day. And, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily compare them like career, career wise or whatnot in terms of like accolades, but you know, they, like I said in the piece, they, they, they had their own triumphs to get over. Uh, Jay-Z had to overcome the ghost of the notorious B.I.G., who a lot of people still, not, not a lot of people, but some people to, to this day say he wouldn't have been as big of an artist if Biggie had Biggie. I, I, I agreed on that one. Yeah, I agreed on that one. Sorry. Yeah, I don't think that's true because I think Jay-Z was a, a great artist on his own, and that's a, another topic for another day. And, you know, Kobe... You know, he was always shrouded with the, the Jordan comparison. Now, he kind of brought that on himself as well, but I think both of them established their own career, and, you know, they're, they're legends in their own right. And I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to make that comparison. Like, if that's Kobe's last game, Kobe de- Kobe didn't need, you know, 60 points for, for everybody to say, oh, he's one of the greatest of all time. Like, everybody knew he was one of the greatest of all time at that point. The same way, if this is if this really is Jay Z's last album, you want to go out with a bang. Although he didn't need to go out with a bang to prove how great he was, but just the fact that like if Kobe can go out with sixty like that, then you know Jay Jay probably wanted to do the same thing. Now I don't know if he was thinking about Kobe while he was recording the album, but the you know the correlation made sense in my head, and and thankfully it. It, you know, a lot of other people appreciate it as well. And Kobe mm-hmm. as well, since he retweeted he it. Retweeted so he retweeted it. Right. Wrote it. <laughs> yeah, so that let me know Kobe actually read it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Kobe, if you're listening, we're shouting you out again. <laughs> right. 
Okay, so I'm a huge Beyonce fan, like went to the concert, everything last year. So when she released Lemonade and everybody on social media was talking about how her and Jay were having relationship issues. And now people are talking about how 444 is his apology to her for cheating on her and not taking the mirror seriously until Blue Ivy was born. So do you think that this is true or do you think it's just like a publicity stunt to keep keep people talking about the Carters or like what's what's going on here? No, I, I I mean, publicity stunt. That that's for another famous family with the last name that starts with a K. Okay. Right. I knew I knew that was coming. <laughs> you know, I, I, and that's a totally totally different conversation. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily a publicity stunt. I I do believe that um, one those things actually happen. You know, like I, I don't believe he would make that stuff up in order. I mean, again, like Jay Z could have took the easy route out and just tried to make 11 straight club anthems or whatnot, but I'm glad he didn't. And I mean, you can look, you can look back at the elevator incident with Solange, like something happened. They got three albums out of that incident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They got three, they got three really powerful, great, great albums out (laughs) of that incident. I mean, one, uh, I believe Solange won a Grammy off that, off the seat at the table. I'm sure Beyonce, yeah, Beyonce won Grammy, although she should have got album of the year, but, and Jay will eventually be nominated for a Grammy with this. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they learn how to, even with drama that comes with every relationship. I, I believe they know how to maximize their their earning potential. And I'm not mad at them for that. I'm not mad, but I I do one thing. One thing I'm glad Jay did on the album was you know he he really dedicated one full song to that situation, which was obviously the title track 444. And he mentioned it on the first song, which is called Kill Jay-Z. And I believe he had a line about it on Family Ties, but he really dedicated one song to it. And I'm glad he didn't try to spend an entire album trying to justify whatever his thought process was, because at the end of the day, he was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, he, he was wrong. Like, he, he admitted himself he cheated on Beyonce. And, you know, it, he admitted himself that it took the birth of Blue Ivy to really understand, to, like, really value, like, what a woman means in his life. Now, I'm not... I'm not praising him for that. I'm because it shouldn't take the birth of your daughter for you to realize that. But I do appreciate honesty on record. I appreciate honesty more than anything. And again, a lot of times when people are honest with you, it's not going to be what you really want to hear and it's not going to be comfortable. So I, I appreciate what they did. And ho- I mean, hopefully they're in a, they seem to be in a better situation now, but uh, I, I don't believe it was a publicity stunt. I believe it was their way. And look, at the end, it, at the end of the day, combined, they're worth like a billion dollars. So they probably sat down and talked, and I'm pretty sure Beyonce probably threatened to leave, and everything he said on that album about him basically being brought to tears about the the thought of his family breaking up, because if you listen to Jay's music, a lot of a lot of the, the terror in his eyes was basically replicating what his father did to his family. And in essence, he was following down that same path. And if you listen to his music throughout the years, like I said in the piece, He's always alluded to the fact that, like, he—that's part of that—that's part of his his personality that he has to work on. And he nearly lost everything, and that's what—at least that song was a, a realization of that. And but at the end of the day, the Carters are gonna make a dollar off of this, and nothing sells in music quite like drama. And they—they they know drama. They're like TNT. They know drama. <laughs> I guess I guess it's great. Justin Tinsley, the culture and sports writer for the Undefeated. Much appreciated, much respect. No, thank y'all so much, and I look forward uh, look forward to meeting all of y'all.
When we come back, we'll be speaking with Olympic silver medalist Brigitte Barrett about how to make track popular in the United States. Stay tuned. Welcome back, and if you're just now joining us, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm here in the 538 studio in New York City with my co-hosts, Paul Hostin, Minia Shabazz, Kyle Wright, and John X. Miller of The Undefeated. Uh, we're we're going to switch gears uh, from the NBA to track and field. Uh, summer is always a busy time for sprinters, throwers, and high jumpers, uh, but some have noticed that the, uh, the sport is forgotten when it's not a, a summer Olympic year. Uh, with us, we've got 2012 Olympic silver medalist Brigitte Barrett, who's here to talk Hello. about. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Brigitte? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Brigitte is a, uh, as I mentioned, is an Olympic silver medalist, 2012, and she's here to talk about uh, reviving track. You know, I love track and I love Olympic uh, Olympic track, but it's true, Brigitte. You know that we only seem to get excited about it. Uh, in Olympic years, and you're you were in New York City where you met um, uh, Kyla and you met uh, Mania, and you had conversations about about, about event that you um, uh, just just uh, appeared in. So welcome to the show. First of all, welcome to the show. Welcome to New York City. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So so tell us about why why you were here with the, the event that you were competing in. Yeah. So. Um Yes, the event that I was competing in is called the Track Town Summer Series. It's a new series of um, events or track meets, stops, tours, if you will, in America. Um, because the way that our sport sort of works is in college, in the NCAA structure, um, there's a lot of competitions all throughout the year. In high school, there's a lot of competitions all throughout the year in America any state, any city um, that you visit, there's track meets and there's a whole bunch of kids and parents and family attending. However, when it comes to the professional level, um, our professional circuit is mainly overseas. So, you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to travel to Russia, Sweden, um, Korea, China, um, France, uh, so many different places in France. Um, so, like, the, the list goes on. However, uh, what Tri-Town Summer Series does um, that really kind of changes the game for American athletes. It gives us the opportunity to compete in America um, and the ability to really do and show what we work so hard on in front of American fans. Um, and that is very key for many different reasons that uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about later on in the conversation. Okay, so as you mentioned, you know, a goal of the Track Town Series was to create a really fun competition among the best American track and field athletes. You know, I saw it firsthand that people were on the field, spectators, you know, everybody was just having a good time. They were playing blasting music that everyone could just have fun to. <laughs> it felt like and, a cookout. Yeah. Right. It felt like a cookout. It was a very different <laughs> atmosphere than your average um, track meet. So. The new block party. Right. Hey. Yes. <laughs> Yo. So I was wondering, you know, like, how do you get exposure to people who might not get it unless they make it to the Olympics? How do you make money and stay relevant as a professional field athlete? Great question. Um, right now, the status quo is that um, most I want to say around like 80% of Olympic athletes across the board. So I'm not just talking about the sport of track and field. I'm talking about 
swimming. I'm talking about gymnastics. I'm talking about fencing. I'm talking about boxing, women's basketball. Like I'm talking across the board, um, winter and summer, most athletes are living below the poverty line to um, hopefully get to the point where they're vying for three spots at the Olympic trials to represent their country at the Olympic Games every four years. So if you can kind of see how um, very, very, very important the Olympics is specifically for each athlete that has possibly been living in their car for four years, possibly gone into debt just to realize a dream, and then only to come home unrecognized heroes. We are um, by far across every single sport in the Olympic um, umbrella the best team in the world. However, um, the most unrecognized team in the world. So if you look at that disparity, it's very like, wow, how is this happening? And then I, I guess another thing to be said, it's not like there's not money to be made, right? Because in the 1980s, we saw the commercialization of the Olympics with like Coca-Cola and television and all that good stuff. The game really changed as far as opportunity. But somewhere along the line, um, kind of like in our government, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, the people who like CEOs of the national governing bodies, such as the U.S. Olympic Committee and, and et cetera, they make uh, about a million dollars a year, a year off of um, the whole Olympic endeavor. So whether it's an Olympic year or not, they're still making well over six figures. <laughs> a year and so you're like hmm, how are they getting the money and they're not even spending a minute on the track or on the field but athletes are struggling to eat well that's, that's a great question why is that um, i mean I, and i guess this is a complicated question but and, and you know and this is something that's it's not a new dilemma but um you know it, it's i mean track and field is wonderful i love track and field uh, but but why is that? You, you know why why is there money being made and there would be no money being made were not for athletes? But is it that you guys yeah, don't exactly. have representation? There's no union. There's okay. So if you look at um, the Olympic, um, the original Olympic story, the beginning of it is always kind of taken on the amateur status, and so because of that amateur status, um, you have a lot of volunteers and a lot of people were just kind of like farmers or factory workers and they would you know once every four years you know go out for the olympics it was just kind of like something you did you know people really didn't understand there was money to be made but after the commercialization um i think where the issue happened was the at base the foundation of the olympic movement was still acting like an amateur instead of like a, a business where you need a ceo um and somebody that is well gifted in learning how to make money and bring money in and bring new money in and et cetera. So uh, I believe that the track and field specifically um, at its foundation has not done well to, we've stayed kind of behind the eight ball as far as like our organization. Uh, we're still an amateur sport. If you look at, we're still not even professionalized yet. And so it's like, dang, like at the foundation, it's not professionalized. So that opens up ways that other people who um, know how to make money or whatever can figure out how to make money for themselves, but there's not a specific, um, what shall I say, uh, foundation or format 
to figure out how to funnel that money all the way down to the athletes. And that's just one piece of its puzzle, right? But I will say, because um, our now our newer CEO US, uh, USAT, of USATF, his name is Max Siegel, he has done an unprecedented, amazing job of bringing new money into the sport and bringing on new partnerships and sponsors. And now, um, for the first time, we are seeing a lot more money and new money brought directly to the athletes. But a big part of that is what track and what the Track Town Summit Series has kind of presented an answer to was finding ways to make track and field as a sport more relevant on the professional level in America. The issue is that, you know, this one meet was finally on ESPN, the major sports network in America, but any of our other meets, like NCAA is on ESPN, which is why now you see a lot of college athletes started doing amazing in college. They're graduating college with 50,000, 100,000 um, followers on social media, which definitely gives them great social media marketing power. But all the people that graduated before um, that ESPN partnership didn't really get to benefit off of that um, uh, off of the social media revenue. And so what happens is um, now with a professional, you see the professional level again is behind the eight ball um, and not having a partnership with ESPN and that can really help um, get track in front of the eyes of American fans and really increase their fan power, their social media power, following power. So I think there are a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but Track Town Summer Series bringing track meets to America on ESPN where we can get and grow American fans um, is really a start of answering the bigger problem. Mm. Okay, so, Brigida, I know you left track for a, a small little stint in 2016, and then you decided to come back again this year and compete. What really changed your mind? You know, like, what what happened? What changed? And, you know, what's next for you? Yeah, um, so my family has a long history of um, mental health uh, disorders. And so, you know, when I was growing up, my mother uh, suffered from a major severe depression, uh, most of my childhood. So uh, my oldest sister as well um, definitely dealt with uh, bi- uh, bipolar disorder. And um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. And um, that was actually my biggest fear ever because I see how depression can take someone who is in love with life and is just the kindest, loving, outward, social butterfly. Like my mom is such a beautiful woman. Um inside and out and I watched how it kind of like really changed her and brought made her so broken um and kind of like really just stripped the way that she sees life now and so for me um track and field everything got so bad to where I was just not able to compartmentalize the way I used to all the um feelings of depression and suicide that I was going through I wasn't able to kind of keep it under wraps the way I'd done so well all of my life um, so, and then that was compounded because track and field became, um, a trigger for my depression along with my coach. Um, he was a huge trigger of my, uh, depression at the time. And so, um, I got to this point where I, I the thought of track, <laughs> the thought of going to track practice really made me emotionally paralyzed. And I was literally, uh, an emotional prisoner frozen in my apartment, in my bedroom, for weeks at a time, I could not leave my house and I didn't know who I was. And I got my will together. I got 
all insurance, all my investments together for my family to leave them something behind because I was just kind of like ready to die. And I think um, if it had not been for the Lord, um, that I definitely would be dead by now. But uh, just in the nick of time, he really just kind of like sent the the strangers in my life to send me some of the most amazing, beautiful, loving messages. And that kind of gave me the strength to be like, oh, you're at war right now and you can either fight for your life or just kind of like give up. But I couldn't give up because I'm like, I know that I'm a child of God. So um, in that way, I was like, okay, what is triggering your depression? And I had to step away from track because of that. And so that's why I spent two years away from the sport. I was actually pretty confident I would never return, but God had other plans. And so, so what do you plan to do now? What is the sport doing for you now? How has your life transformed that you're now back in into high jumping? Yeah, um, I think one of the things, the the most devastating thing about what we talked about earlier about the lack of um, fans and uh, in track and track and field in America, and the fact that somebody can go and break world records and come back home to America, and people don't even know who that person is. Um, is that you almost feel like what you had been working for your whole life amounted to nothing. Um, and that's a very hard, that's very hard, especially when you think of all the things that you sacrifice for. But for me, the reason I originally started track and field was because I really wanted to break the statistics, the chain of statistics facing me as a black woman in America. So from a young age, I never wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I would be married before I had kids and I, I was going to, you know, get amazing grades in school and I was going to go to college and um, I wasn't going to go to jail and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so track and field was a means to an end originally. It was a, my way to get to college without having to pay for it because I couldn't afford it. And so, but my original dream, my grandmother was an opera singer. My mom sings. My family is a singing and performing family. So my dream was to be a performer. So one thing that I always do all the time is sing because it really is therapy for me. Um, and, you know, just praising God through song is one way that I can just always make sure that I am in contact with my Heavenly Father. And so um, when I was trying to figure out, well, what do I do now that I've stepped away from track? I spent a whole year doing musical theater. I got booked in many musicals and short films and full feature films and uh, commercials and um, even did um, a, a lot of extra work in um, television shows. Um, and so in doing that, I realized that my ultimate heart is to be a Christian filmmaker, and I really, really, really would like to go to grad school. I really value education because it was something – I was one of the first people in my family to go to college, and I just feel like as a black woman, especially in my family, but in general, that it's important to kind of value education so that you can be a living example for the future generations. So I'm doing track to um, prove a point to myself um, uh, and be an ambassador of depression to show people, like, you can bounce back, you can get back up, and you can live and survive and thrive, um, even having had depression or, or whatever. But also um, to thank everybody that really believes in me and show, you know what, the game's not over. I have a lot of potential that I ultimately have not lived up to yet, and I will live up to that, but also to save money for grad school. <laughs> well, our guest has been the great Brigitte Barrett. Uh, she's the uh, Olympic silver medalist from 2012, and we're looking forward to her uh, to uh, winning more, winning more gold, winning more silver, but just you know, spreading the good word. Uh, Brigitte, you, you, you've been you've been wonderful, and uh, we got to have you back uh, because 
a lot of stuff you've talked to is yet another segment, but we'll you're going to promise to come back. Uh, and you kind of come by when you're in New York. You got to come by the studio. Yes, I would love to. And as far as uh, HBCUs, I would I have been looking at HBCUs for my grad school um, education. I'm going to be seeking two different degrees. So um, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure meeting everyone this weekend. I'm just so overwhelmed by the love that you guys have showed me and the support. So I'm definitely excited to continue um, seeing what the defeated the undefeated has to offer in the future. Before we close out the show, I turn it over to the fellows to leave you with a few thoughts to consider. Mania goes first. Well done, Kendall Jenner. You've done it again. In April, you were the main character in a Pepsi ad that trivialized the Black Lives Matter movement. And last month, you teamed up with your sister, Kylie Jenner, to produce a limited edition vintage t-shirt collection for $125. Legendary rap artists Tupac and Biggie are pictured on the shirts with Jenner's faces plastered over these iconic images. One even pictured a faded image of Tupac with his birth and death date under an Instagram photo of Kylie getting out of the pool. This Instagram caption reads, Body is a wonderland. Notorious B.I.G.'s mother said this was disrespectful, disgusting, and exploitation at its worst, and I would have to agree with her. Although I appreciate the apology, the fact that they thought this was acceptable in the first place baffles me. We can see that cultural appropriation is a family tradition, but please, stop. You take our men, our hairstyles, our lips, our butts, what will you think of next? Consider this, Jenner sisters. We are getting tired of the apologies. Just think before you do. Thanks, Mania. Kyla Wright goes next. Tennis legend Venus Williams is currently being accused of wrongful death of an elderly man in a car crash. The family of Jason Barson is suing Williams for $15,000 in the midst of her current series of Wimbledon tournaments. She even broke down at a press conference after being asked a question about the incident, and she has now issued an emergency protective order against the family. Hasn't Williams gone through enough? Her older sister, Yatunde, was murdered 14 years ago. She has Sjogren syndrome, and she grew up in a poverty-filled, crime-stricken neighborhood. Through all of this, Williams has never been in trouble with the law. Though a champion on the court, this is her first encounter with adversity. Consider this. There are two sides to every story, and hopefully the truth will come out with proper investigation. Florida police, the ball is in your court. Thank you, Kyla. Paul Holston goes next. While many Americans celebrated their freedom of Independence Day last week, innocent black bodies left on the street have seemed to become an afterthought. It's been one year since 37-year-old Alton Sterling was fatally shot by Baton Rouge police on July 5, 2016, and from the Triple S Food Mart in North Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Cell phone videos show Sterling, a black man, pinned to the ground by the Watt officers before he was shot, but police said he was reaching for a gun. According to multiple witnesses, the police officers were the aggressors in the situation that led to the death of another black man in America. As I pondered on the amount of people who barbecued or shot off their fireworks in celebration of the 4th of July, my conscience did not feel the same sentiment as my fellow Americans. To those who forgot, please consider this. Black life is American life. Our history is American history. And black lives do matter. Thank you, Paul. And that's it for our show today. If you'd like us to cover something or have comments, email us at rodenfellows at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Tony Chow and Martin Onabu are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings.
Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.